Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. Do you remember that game Simon Says from when you were a kid? Um, it's pretty simple, right? Simon says it and then you do it. So I thought we could, we could play a little Simon Says this morning if you want to with me. So Simon Says wave. Oh, thanks everybody. Good to see you. Good morning. Simon Says pat your head gently if you've got a nice hairdo this morning. Um, Simon Says do one big clap. Now two big claps. Simon didn't say. Um, Francis Chan, who's a pastor from California, he says, it's so weird how in the church, playing Jesus says is a totally different game than playing Simon says. Jesus says it, and we don't have to actually do it, we just have to memorize it. We just have to study it. He said it'd be like, um, like going to one of our kids, so me, going to, to Nora and Finn and saying, okay, Nora and Finn, go clean your room. And they come back 90 uh, minutes later and they say, Dad, we remember what you said. You said, Nora Finn, go clean your room. They didn't do it, but they memorized it. They're like, Dad, we can say it in Greek and Hebrew. Dad, later we're going to invite some friends over and we're going to do a study on what it means to clean our room. And we're going to talk about how we feel about cleaning rooms. Somehow, for some of us, we've created a definition of following Jesus that doesn't actually include doing what Jesus did and doing what he invites us to do. You can, you can call yourself a Christian and not do what Christ did. We can call him our Lord, and we can talk about his kingdom without obeying him as our king. And as Bonnie and I started to study that idea and these passages from Matthew last summer, I've got to say, it was really challenging for us as we looked at our lives, as we looked at our family, and we said, are we, are we a Christian family that isn't, isn't teaching our children to follow Jesus? It isn't making disciples? For me, am, am I a pastor but not a disciple maker? Are we starting a church that makes disciples? I've been wrestling with those questions. And if the people that I'm discipling are not making disciples, who are making disciples, then am I a disciple maker? Am I following Jesus? So that's what this... This moment at City of Light is about. That's what this series that we're, we've been in, Follow Me, Jesus the Disciple Maker, is about. It's about saying, we want to follow Jesus. We want to do what he invites us to do. We want to obey him. We want to make disciples because he gave his life for us. So we want to give our lives to do what he's asked us to do. So we've been looking at how Jesus came to invite people to follow him from his very infancy, from, from his 
his birth and to the calling of the wise men. He invites people to follow him into the family of God, to teach his, his followers to invite other people into the family of God. Because God has parented us and has invited us and he sends us to, to spiritually and actually parent orphans and raise generations of people who will follow Jesus and who will make disciples. And we do that through, through praying to the Lord of the harvest and asking him to send us into the harvest. We do that through partnering together as a church. We do that by planting seeds of gospel invitation where we invite people to come and see, come and follow, come and die. That's the whole series in two minutes. I just saved you a lot of time. And you know, this is the passage that, that actually our church was born out of, one of several key passages. It was praying through Matthew 9 and 10 and saying, okay, Lord, would you send us out? We're two years from our very first launch team meeting. It was February 7th, 2015 on Watson Street on the east side of the city. And there were a couple dozen of us, and we got together, and we said, we feel the Lord sending us to the harvest here. And some of us were changing jobs and changing cities and changing schools and changing homes, and some of us were being sent out by their churches in Aurora here to come serve this church, and some of us were feeling like, wow, we haven't been in the church, and now we want to come back to it. And we all came together to follow Jesus' call. See, Jesus says at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, the, the very last thing he says to his followers, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to command, to do all that I've commanded you. What is he commanded to do? Well, make disciples. So we're teaching disciples to make disciples, right? And, and then what did Jesus' disciples do when they hear that? We read about it all through the book of Acts, which is a book about planting churches. And through all the, the letters of the New Testament, which are letters to new church plants, we read the disciples, to make disciples, start churches. That make disciples, that start churches, that make disciples. There's a lot of bad reasons to start a new church. There's only one good one, to make disciples. That's the only reason to start a church in the Lord. You can, have a, you can have a church and you can go to a church and you can plant a church that doesn't make disciples. You can. But Jesus calls the church his very body. It's his presence in this world. And, and by doing that, what he's doing is he's giving into the very DNA of the church this disciple-making impulse this disciple-making gift by his spirit in his body in the world now, that if we will simply obey and if we'll simply follow him, he will teach us to make disciples. That's what the church does. It's who we are. It's the natural impulse of the church if, if we'll obey. When we started meeting together a couple years ago, we were making a launch team a team that would help launch our church into weekly services and into mission. I think we're gathering a new team right now. I think here at the beginning of 2017, we're gathering a disciple-making team. 
That's us. That's what the church is. We're a team that partners together, that prays, that plants seeds of invitation to make disciples. We're starting a kind of disciple-making team in this series. So how do we do that together as a church? We've named three simple practices that will help launch us into lives of disciple-making. It's what we've been preaching about all these last weeks. That everyone would know who their disciple-making partner is. Who is your partner in disciple-making? That we would know who we're praying for, who Jesus' heart has moved us to pray for, and that we would know how we are planting seeds of invitation They conveniently all start with the same letter. Who's your partner? Who are you praying for? How are you planting? So this morning, I want to continue looking at this passage from Matthew. uh, Longest introduction to a sermon ever. Um, I want to look at seven things that Jesus teaches his disciples right before he sends them out. Do you remember, uh, for those of you who are here last week, um, we were reading about Jesus' heart for the, the harassed and helpless crowds, the sheep without a shepherd. And he says to his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. And if you want to follow along, and open your Bible to Matthew uh, 10 with me. And we also have new Bibles that are on the chairs. And I think Matthew 10 is around page 1226 or so, if my memory from about 40 minutes ago is correct. Um, but turn, turn with me um, to chapter 10. I want you to imagine being there with the disciples. Jesus is moved with compassion. The disciples can tell what's happening with him. And he tells them, pray to the Lord of the harvest. What do you think they did? Well, I think they stopped and prayed. I think they just did what Jesus said. Imagine all of his followers just there praying. And I wonder... I wonder if as they prayed, right when Jesus told them to pray, if Jesus gave them their heart, and all of a sudden they're going, oh, there's that person I know who needs to come follow Jesus. They haven't even heard about Jesus yet. Or there's that town, or there's my town that I grew up in, and I know the people there, and they don't know Jesus. And I wonder if Jesus just moved their hearts with compassion when they prayed. I mean, that's what he's been doing for us when we pray. Then I wonder if they made the connection. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. And I wonder if those followers of Jesus were, were coming up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this person I know needs to know about you. Will you send me to them? Jesus, this city that we walked through a couple weeks ago, they need to know about you. Will you send me there? They're just, they're just doing what he says. When Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, we just, we obey. And so Jesus says, yeah, I will send out, in this passage, 12. He'll later send out 70. And he sends them out not as superheroes, not as super Christians, but as regular people just like you and me. There's this... um, prophet in the Old Testament. He's kind of like the, uh, the Michael Jordan of prophets. This is like the, the big one. His name's Elijah. And he did things like 
pray for the rain to stop, and there was a drought. And then when he prayed for it to start again, like a rain cloud formed and it started raining right then. Another time he, he prays and the Lord actually sends down fire from heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't done any of those things over the weekend. In the book of James, we read an earlier passage from James this morning, James says, Eliza, Elijah was just a person. He was just a person like you and me. So Jesus sends out just normal people. And before he sends them out, he gives them some coaching. Here's seven things he coaches them on. We'll do 90 seconds per thing. Chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus says, when you go, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that message is a call to repentance. It's a call to actually turning. It's a call to renouncing one thing and saying yes to another because the kingdom of heaven is at odds with every other kingdom. The kingdom of heaven says that Jesus is the king, and so we obey and we follow him, and we teach what he teaches, and we do what he did. It's a, it's a call to change your life and to let the Lord change your life and to follow him. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. And we're going to talk next week, Pastor Scott's preaching. He's going to talk about a, a, a teaching from Jesus about scattering these seeds of invitation and how we just, we just throw them out there. Because the, the seed of the, the good news of the kingdom of heaven is powerful. We don't have to have the power. It has the power. So we just, we just scatter the seed. We just throw it out there. And as we move through this series and then in a couple weeks through the season of Lent and to the resurrection of Jesus and Holy Week, um, there are so many opportunities to scatter seeds of gospel invitation to invite people to come and follow him. It may be that as you're praying about someone in your life, who the Lord has moved your heart to, that he would lead you to a specific invitation to make to them. Maybe it's an invitation to coffee or to share a meal. Maybe it's an invitation to say, can I pray for you? Maybe it's an invitation to have a spiritual conversation or to, to meet regularly to pray or to talk or to study the Bible together or to come to one of our groups. Or maybe the Lord would say, would you just invite them to follow Jesus? Would you just scatter the invitation? That's what Jesus says to his disciples when he sends them out. He sends them out and says, go tell people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's an invitation to live in the kingdom of heaven, to follow Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. The second thing he says is in verse 8. Verse 7 says, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8, heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Whenever we proclaim the kingdom of heaven, we also proclaim a kingdom of healing. Any proclamation of the gospel, any speaking of the kingdom of Jesus 
that doesn't include a message of healing is not fully understanding the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, where God's will that is done in heaven is done on earth. The kingdom of heaven is a place where there is no more injustice, where there is no more sorrow, there is no more tears, or no, there's no more suffering. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom without rejection, without war, without violence. So when we come proclaiming and inviting people into the kingdom of heaven, we actually come living out that kingdom of heaven, and it's a kingdom of healing. We do that in our families. We do that in our church. We live a life of kingdom of heaven, generosity, hospitality, love, and healing. Sometimes that's speaking good news to people who are suffering. Sometimes it's advocating on their behalf. Sometimes it's literally praying for the Lord to do a miracle. And Bonnie and I have just been so blessed in the last months by watching City of Light care so specifically, so logistically for one another. And we just have meals crisscrossing left and right from family to family to family all the time. It's like we're passing back Chipotle gift cards. How could you do that for someone who needs a kingdom of heaven invitation? As well as for your brothers and sisters here. We come preaching the kingdom of heaven. We also come bringing healing for the hurting. Number three, when we proclaim the kingdom of heaven, we are given the words to say. We don't have to make it up ourselves. This is verse 19 and 20. Do not be anxious for what you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It is not for you who speak, but the spirit of your Father speaking through you. If you follow Jesus, if you obey him to go make that invitation, he does the rest. He even will give you, quite literally, words to speak. I was reminded reading that of um, Moses in the Old Testament. God comes to Moses in a bush that's on fire but doesn't burn up, and he says, I'm going to send you to the, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let all of his slaves that are driving the economy of the country go. There's no way Pharaoh would want to do that. And so Moses says, okay, but me no talkie so good. He's like, I am not eloquent. I don't speak well. And in Exodus 4, God says to him, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? God did. God made your mouth. He can teach you what to say. He can give you the words. He can use it so that you are a spokesperson for the kingdom of God. Do you know that's what your mouth was made for? To speak of Jesus? Any other use is second best, second rate? We'll be given the words. Now, this doesn't mean you have to live your life completely spontaneously. You can study, you can prepare, you can plan. The more you're in the word of God, the more quickly the word of the Lord will flow through you. But you don't have to be anxious. You can just obey and follow the Lord. and He, he will give you the words to say. 
Number four. We can expect rejection. We can count the cost of persecution. Jesus says in the section verses 16 through 19 that persecution will come. I'm sending you out. It'll be like your sheaves, sheep, and you're surrounded by wolves. What happens to sheep that are surrounded by wolves? They get attacked. They'll deliver you over to courts. They'll flog you in synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. All over the world, there are Christians who are literally giving their lives to the Lord. My father-in-law was in Nigeria earlier um, in the winter, and he saw a church that had been burned to the ground with uh, the pastor in it. He saw the rubble. He was there. It's happening all over the world. It doesn't always happen to us the same way here in America, does it? You know, I think when we talk about persecution sometimes as a church in America, we really in one way, don't know what we're talking about. Sometimes I hear uh, people talking about being persecuted, and really what they just mean is that they were acting like a jerk, and then someone told them they were acting like a jerk, and then they talked about that as persecution. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. There is a sense that where there is around the world a red martyrdom, a blood martyrdom, that here maybe in our country there's a white martyrdom, where you, you don't you don't lose your life, but you might lose face. You might lose reputation. You might lose a promotion. You might turn down a job because of the values of the Lord Jesus Christ you're trying to obey. Um, a priest in our Anglican world from uh, Michigan a couple days ago posted this on Facebook. He said, when the church seeks to protect the unborn, we're rejected. When we seek to protect the Syrian refugee, we're rejected. Sooner or later, when you live in radical solidarity with everyone, you will find yourself on a cross, rejected for one reason or another by almost all. There is a, there is a persecution of, of reputation or embarrassment where we're afraid to live or speak our values, not in a way that not in a values politics sort of way, but in a way of inviting people into the life of heaven. Are we willing to have a lot of people think less of us for the chance that one person will think more of Jesus? We can expect rejection. We can expect persecution. But we don't have to take it personally. Verses 34 through 39, this is one of the most intense things Jesus says. He says, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, most daughter-in-laws don't need a ton of help to be set against their mother-in-laws, but just kidding. What's Jesus saying here? What's he saying here? He's saying he comes to bring a decision point. He comes to be a, a sword that forces you to choose sides. The kingdom of heaven is a decision point. 
It requires a response. And when you offer that, you're going to face some people who accept it and some people who reject it. But they don't reject us. They're rejecting Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says in verse 14, if you get to a house or you get to a town and someone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house. What's he saying? That's just a kind of a cultural sign of saying that they didn't accept this. We don't take it, we don't take it personally. We scatter all the gospel invitations that we can, and some people will reject it. But when we do take it personally, I think maybe several things happen, but here's a couple that I thought of. We're afraid to make more invitations. We're afraid to give gospel invitations because we feel like they're going to reject us. Number two, sometimes we take it personally and we get defensive. That can be just as bad. We're either too afraid that there'll be an argument so we don't talk, or we're try too aggressively to win an argument. As we were at our disciple-making Saturday retreat a couple weeks ago, we were talking about this idea of, like, when do you know what to say, and what if you offend somebody? And someone in our group just said, you know, if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit leads me to make a gospel kingdom of heaven invitation, then it's not my idea. And I'm just obeying. And if they reject it, they're rejecting what the Holy Spirit asked me to do. If we're just off on our own, um, maybe we will be rejected personally. But if we're following the Holy Spirit, if we're just obeying Him, and we don't have to second-guess ourselves. Sometimes we face a rejection, and it does discourage us. And this is why we work with disciple-making partners. I had this happen last year where there was someone that we were inviting deeper into the kingdom of heaven, and they rejected it, and it felt like they rejected me, and it hurt. And I was so grateful to have with me in that process a disciple-making partner, and we could encourage each other about it. We can expect rejection, but we don't have to take it personally. We don't have to let it stop us from doing what Jesus did. And that's number six. When we are sent out into the harvest by Jesus, we just we do what Jesus did. Verses 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. He's talking in that immediate context about expecting persecution. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was rejected. We can expect the same thing. He goes on to say, it's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher. It's enough for a servant to be like his master. We are invited when we follow Jesus to be like Jesus. We go to just do what he did. And this is something that Jesus says over and over and over again. In John 13, when he's uh, with his disciples in the upper room getting ready for his death and resurrection, he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We read today in James, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Practice it. Later in the New Testament, in in 1 John, it talks about abiding in Christ and having the life of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in us and us in the Trinity. He says, 
Whoever abides in Jesus will walk as Jesus walks. And then just a couple chapters earlier in Matthew, after Jesus finishes kind of his signature teaching in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he ends it by saying, the person who hears this and then follows and does it, it's like someone who builds his house on a rock of Jesus. And all sorts of things will come against that house, but it will stand strong if you follow the way of Jesus. And the person who hears but doesn't follow, that person's like someone who builds their house on the sand. And rain and storms come, and the sand washes away, and the house falls down. We're sent into the harvest. We, we plant seeds of gospel invitation, and we bring healing because... That's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for you. He he offers that healing, that gospel, that kingdom life. And he invites us to be the way that others hear about that and get invited into that. We go out into the harvest to do what he did, and finally, seven, We go into the harvest because that's where Jesus is. Jesus is with us in the harvest. We go to be with him. You know, it can be be scary to begin making gospel invitations, begin inviting people, can I pray for you? Can we talk about spiritual things? Can we study the Bible together? That can be scary. And so Jesus gives us this consolation. He says... Do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear those who can kill the soul. That sounds intense because he's talking about killing, but what's he saying here? He's saying, worst case scenario, you get killed, I raise you to new life again, and you come live in the kingdom of heaven with me. That has to be the best worst case scenario in history. To be in the body is to be present with Jesus in the harvest. To be out of the body is to be present with Jesus in heaven. And Jesus says, don't worry, because I'm in the harvest with you right now. This is that beautiful passage we read about him having the hairs on our head numbered. Of him caring for a sparrow, and a sparrow's worth a penny. And he says to us, you are worth many sparrows. Most beautiful compliment. Try that one on a spouse or a friend uh, later today or on Valentine's Day. You are worth many sparrows. Jesus knows us. He cares for us. He invites us into the harvest because that's where he is and he wants us to be with him. When Stephen, um, one of the church's first deacons, is martyred, he's killed. He's giving a gospel invitation and they're throwing stones at him and he's dying and he sees the heavens opened up and he says, I see Jesus. He was with him. In the Old Testament, we get Three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And while everyone else is bowing down to the idol of their day, they say, no, we follow Jesus. And they throw him into the fire. And they look, and there's not three, but there's four. Because they're with Jesus. Jesus is in the harvest. Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to be with him? Do you want to feel a closeness to him? He's in the harvest. He's out there making invitations and loving people who don't even know him yet. 
And so Jesus, when he gives us this, this command, this invitation, go and make disciples, teaching them all I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he says, and I'll always be with you. Forever. I'll always be with you. Think about the times in your life when you have felt close to Jesus. Was everything around you just fine? Or were you going through something hard? Were you stepping out in faith? I sometimes think that if I were in a different part of the world and under a persecution that could cost me my life, I would live so alertly. I would live in just this daily dependence on Jesus. You know what our temptation here is? To not need to do that. Jesus says, when he sends his disciples out, he says, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. But you know what? You don't need a comforter when you're comfortable. You only need it when you step out in faith to follow Jesus into the harvest. And when we follow him, when we obey him, that's where he is. Here's the seven coachings from Jesus before we're sent out again. When Jesus sends us into the harvest, we speak about the kingdom of heaven. We give gospel invitations. And we bring healing for the hurting. You can't separate those two in the message of Jesus. We're given the words to say. We can expect to be rejected, but we don't have to take that personally because we're doing what Jesus did, and we're doing it with. So what's the next step for you in following Jesus, in obeying, in doing what Jesus says? Go make disciples. Follow me. It might be that you need to just say, you know what, Sunday mornings, I'm just going to be there. I'm just going to make coming and hearing and being with Jesus and his church family, I'm just going to make that the most important thing. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to journey through Lent and into Holy Week. It might be that you need to give your life fully to Jesus, that you haven't believed and been baptized. You haven't fully committed and said, Jesus, you're my king, you're my Lord, this is what my life's about. Maybe you just haven't done that in a long time. Maybe you can look back on a season of your life and say, wow, I used to do this more. I want to do that again. Maybe you're a brand new follower of Jesus. You're like, can I do this? Yeah, this is for you. Maybe you've been following Jesus your whole life and you've somehow defined following Jesus away from actually doing this. You can. You can do this again. You can follow him. You'll need a partner. With that partner in disciple-making or partners, you can pray for Jesus' heart. And you begin to plant gospel invitations, kingdom of heaven invitations, Let me close this in prayer. Jesus, these words challenge us. But they also comfort us. Help us be with you. Help us find ourselves with you, following you into the harvest. 
Help us be faithful, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.